Please turn in your Bibles this morning to the the, uh, book of Romans, the book of Romans, chapter 16. Romans, chapter 16, and I'll read the first 16 verses. Paul says in verse 1, I commend to you our sister Phoebe, who is a servant of the church, which is at Chantria, that you receive her in the Lord in a manner worthy of the saints, and that you help her in whatever matter she may have need of you, for she herself has also been a help of many, and of myself as well. Greet Prisca and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus who for my life risk their own necks, to whom not only do I give thanks, but also all the churches of the Gentiles. Also greet the church that is in their house. Greet Eponetus, my beloved, who is the first convert to Christ from Asia. Greet Mary, who has worked hard for you. Greet Andronicus and Junius, my kinsmen, and fellow prisoners who are outstanding among the apostles who were also were in Christ before me. Greet Ampliatus, my beloved in the Lord. Greet Urbanus, our fellow worker in Christ, and Statius, my beloved. Greet Apelles, the approved in Christ. Greet those who are of the household of Aristobulus. Greet Herodian, my kinsman. Greet those who are of the household of Narcissus, who are in the Lord. Greet Tryphena and Tryphosa, workers in the Lord, greet Persis, the beloved, who has worked hard in the Lord, greet Rufus, a choice man in the Lord, also his mother and mine, greet Ansyncritus and Phlegon, Hermes, Petrobus, Hermas, and the brethren with them, greet Philologus and Julia, Nereus and his sister, and Olympus, and all the saints who are with them. Greet one another with a holy kiss. All the churches of Christ greet you. The Apostle Paul closes this lengthy letter to the church in Rome here in this chapter. Paul did not plant the church in Rome. We are not certain who or how the church there was planted, And at the time that Paul wrote this letter, he had never even been to the city of Rome. But because there was much correspondence between the apostles and the churches, he knew a number of the believers in Rome, and so he sends greetings to them with much love and affection in this closing chapter. This letter to the Romans was Paul's greatest theological treatise, And in it, he shows great knowledge of the deep things of God. And yet here at the end of this chapter, he shows great love as well. And great knowledge and great love can and should exist at the same time in the hearts of Christians. Heaven will be a place of perfect knowledge and heaven will be a place of perfect love. And so we should not be surprised when we see the two together. And we see it here in the life, in the words of the Apostle Paul. 
This morning we want to look at Paul's greetings to the believers here in Rome, which really begin in verse 3 down through verse 16. In verses 1 and 2, he mentions a woman whose name was Phoebe, and he calls her a servant of the church, which is at Centria. Now, Centria was right next to the seaport city of Corinth, and so many believe that Paul was in the city of Corinth when he wrote this letter, and he sent the letter with Phoebe, who had perhaps some business over in Rome. And then what follows is these various commendations of the believers in the church at Rome. What we see here is the gospel in practice. We see what the gospel produces in the lives of believers. We have looked at different times at the lives of individual believers in the Bible. This morning, we look at the life of a church, the church at Rome. Paul mentions often at the close of his letters, he sends greetings to different brethren in the church. This is the longest list that he gives in any of his letters, and the names which Paul mentions here tell a story. What we see here is some of the characteristics of a spiritually healthy Christian church. And we want to look at some of them this morning. The first is there is unity out of diversity in the church. Unity out of diversity. This church here in Rome was made up of every, it seems, diverse group of people from every ethnic background, from different social and economic classes in the city of Rome. The first thing we see here is that the church was made up of both Jews and Gentiles. In verse 6, he says, greet Mary. Mary was a Jewish name. We have a number of Marys in the gospel records. In verse 7, he says, greet Andronicus and Junius. He says, my kinsmen, he means my fellow countrymen, among the Jews. This is the way Paul used the word back in chapter 9 and verse 3, where he says that he wished that he could be separate from Christ for the sake of my brethren, my kinsmen, according to the flesh, who are Israelites. And so these were fellow Jews in the church at Rome. We see the same thing down in verse 11. He says, greet Herodian, my kinsmen, my fellow kinsmen from among the Jewish people. And then we see that there are clearly Greek names. For example, in verse 10, he says, greet Apelles. Then in verse 15, he says, greet Philologus and Julia and Nereus and his sister and Olympus and all the saints who are with them. These are Greek names. Then in addition to these Greek names, we have people from different parts of the Greek world. For example, in verse 9, he speaks of Urbanus. And Urbanus would have meant that this is a man who comes from the city of Rome. But then down in the middle of verse 5, he says, Greet Eponetus, my beloved who was the first convert to Christ in Asia. By Asia, he means what we call today Turkey. So Eponetus was from Turkey, Urbanus was from Rome, others, so there were Gentiles from different parts of the Gentile world there in the church at Rome. There were no two groups of people who were more at enmity with one another than Jews and Gentiles. 
The Jews looked down upon the Gentiles. They regarded the Gentiles as unclean. They called them dogs. They would not allow the Gentiles into the temple in Jerusalem, lest they would defile it by their presence. And so there was this great enmity and hostility between Jews and Gentiles that had existed for centuries. And yet the gospel of Jesus Christ broke down that wall of separation between them, as Paul says in Ephesians chapter 2. And the gospel took Jews and Gentiles and brought them together into one new body, the church, and established peace between them. And so if Jews and Gentiles could be reconciled to one another, if Jews and Gentiles could be brought together in peace in the church, then any Groups of people can be brought together in the Christian church. Then we also have here slaves and slave owners or masters, as they are called. One third of the people in the Roman Empire were slaves at this time. And some of the names that are listed here are well-known slave names in verse 8. We read of Ampliatus, a slave, a common slave name at that time. And there are others here who will see who were wealthy and probably the slave owners, the masters. In other letters of the Apostle Paul, he writes of how slaves and masters are to treat one another. They were surely present here in the church at Rome, slaves and masters The gospel, the truths of the gospel would eventually lead to the abolition of slavery. That's what we see wherever the gospel continues to have great influence in the world. There is no slavery. The gospel eventually eliminates it. But until that time, what we see here is the most remarkable thing, that there are slaves and their masters together in the same church in peace and unity, worshiping God together. If ever there were two groups of people from different social and economic backgrounds, slaves and masters, that's what we see here, and they are together in the same church. Then we have male and female names mentioned throughout this list. If we knew the Greek language, we would read down through the list and we would be able to recognize immediately which one was which. But there are, slave, there are male and female names throughout the list. The Roman culture was a patriarchal culture. Women were regarded as second-class citizens. But the gospel elevates women, and it elevates them to a place of honor and respect as fellow heirs of the grace of life. And in these opening verses of this chapter, Paul mentions more women than men. And he has no hesitancy No hesitancy to speak of his great appreciation for the work that they do in the advance of the gospel and for the good of the kingdom of God. And then we could add, we'll see in a moment, that there were old saints and there were young saints as well in the church. So what we see here in the church at Rome is this diversity, Jews, Gentiles, slaves, free Male, female, young and old, all of them together in unity in the body of Christ, the church. This is the way it ought to be, Paul said back in Romans chapter 2. 
Is God the God of the Jews only? Is he not the God of the Gentiles also? Yes, of Gentiles also. And so we have one God over Jews and Gentiles and all men together. Paul wrote to the Galatians in chapter 3 and verse 28. He said, there is neither Jew nor Greek. He said, there is neither slave nor free man. There is neither male nor female, but you are all one in Christ Jesus. So this is the unity that exists out of diversity, which begins on earth in the Christian church. It ought to begin here and then it comes to its perfection in heaven, where we read of all the saints before the throne of God who have been purchased by the blood of Christ from every tribe and tongue and people and nation. We find today the world is speaking so much about diversity, always trying to figure out some way in which they can get people from diverse backgrounds to come together and to exist in harmony and peace with one another. But the church ought to be the only institution, and it really is, where people from all these different backgrounds can come together voluntarily, voluntarily, not by force of government or laws, voluntarily, willingly come together in peace and harmony. It says love to love and serve one another and to worship the one true God. So we ask the question, well, how does this unity come about out of all of this diversity? How does it happen in the church? And the answer to that question comes, brings us to our second point this morning concerning this church. And it is that all believers are in union with Jesus Christ. All believers are in union with Jesus Christ. What we see here in these verses is that little phrase, in Christ in the Lord, no less than ten times in these opening verses. We'll look at just a couple of them here. We see in verse 3, Paul says, Greet Prisca and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus. Then we see in verse 7, he says, Greet Andronicus and Junius. And then he says at the end of that verse, Who also were in Christ before me. In verse 8, greet Ampliatus, my beloved in the Lord. Greet Urbanus, our fellow worker in Christ, and Statius, my beloved. Greet Apelles, the approved in Christ. Then in verse 10, greet, or 11 rather, he says, greet Herodian, my kinsmen, greet those who are of the households of Narcissus, who are in the Lord. Verse 12, greet Tryphena and Tryphosa, workers in the Lord. Greet Persis, the beloved who has worked hard in the Lord. Greet Rufus, a choice man in the Lord. So this is what we find throughout all of these greetings that Paul speaks of them as being in Christ, in the Lord. And this speaks of the union that believers have with Jesus Christ. All believers are in Christ, in the Lord Jesus. 
By nature, we are all born into this world in Adam. What that means is that everything that belongs to Adam belongs to us. We are born by nature in union with Adam. So that the guilt of Adam's sin and the condemnation of Adam's sin and the judgment that falls because of human sin and the corruption of sin, the power of sin, that is what Adam has given to us and that is what belongs to all of us. We are born by nature in Adam. Paul wrote of this back in chapter 5 of this letter. He said, through one man sin entered the world and death through sin. And so death has spread to all men because all sinned. He means all of us have sinned in union with Adam. And then we add to our union with Adam all of our actual sins. The sins that we commit every day of our lives. But these people here, they are no longer in Adam. They are in Christ. They have come into union with Jesus Christ, which means that all the blessings that belong to Christ and all the merit of Christ now belongs to them as well. The forgiveness of all of their sins belongs to him, to them by the blood of Jesus The righteousness of Christ is given to them. They are justified. They are freed from all guilt. From the power of sin is broken. They have newness of life. They have a new relationship with God. All of this now belongs to them because they are in Jesus Christ. They have justification. They have righteousness. They have life. And that's what Paul speaks of in Romans chapter 5 as well. There are really only two kinds of people in this world. There are those who are in Adam. And there are those who are in Christ. We may talk here about Jews and Gentiles. We may talk about slave and free men. We may talk about men and women, young and old. We may talk about all of these superficial distinctions that men can see with their eyes. But there is only really one distinction There is only one great distinction which really matters, and it is being in Christ. There is no other distinction that is greater than to be in Adam or to be in Christ. And every one of us here this morning, we are either in Adam by nature or we are in Christ by faith. No greater distinction can there be. In Adam, we are dead in our sins. In Christ, we are alive to God through him. In Adam, we are under the condemnation of God. In Christ, we are under the favor and the love of God. In Christ, we are outside of all the mercy and the kindness And the forgiveness of God in Christ, we are under all the mercy and the peace and the forgiveness of God. In Adam, we are slaves of our sins and cannot set ourselves free. In Christ, we have been set free 
and now we are the slaves of righteousness. Thanks be to God that what happened to these Romans was that they were born in Adam. But thanks be to God, there was a way out of that union with Adam that brought them into union with Jesus Christ. And that great change came about by the gospel. That's what happened to them. They were in Adam. They were all in Adam by birth. Then they heard the gospel of Jesus Christ. And they heard everything that Christ has done for sinners by his righteousness and by his blood upon the cross. And they believed in the gospel. And as soon as they believed in the gospel, that's what happened to them. They were transferred out of union with Adam immediately into union with Christ and all the merit and the blessings of Jesus began to flow down to them. The gospel becomes the power of God to their salvation. And the gospel began to change their lives and to make them more like Christ. We live in a very increasingly godless and it is becoming an increasingly pagan society. The whole direction of our culture is in one movement away from more and more truths of the Bible. And we seem to be going down into things of very deep wickedness in our land, things that we could hardly even have imagined some years, just short years ago. Now those things are approved in our culture. And now those things are propagated by social media and the internet and bombarded upon the minds of the people, even young people. We are sinking into a paganism. But the culture of ancient Rome, where these people lived, was a culture of paganism as well. A wicked culture just like that of which we read of in Corinth, where Paul could say to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, he gave that long list of all the different sins of the people, and then he could say to the Corinthians, and such were some of you, but you were washed, but you were sanctified, but you were justified in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ and the Spirit of God. That's what happened to these Romans they were once living in all the wickedness of that pagan culture of ancient Rome. And then the power of God came to them in the gospel. They were washed. They were sanctified. They were justified. And they are in Christ now. And the same thing that happened to them can happen to us here today, who hear the word of God. Paul writes here, he speaks of them as being in Christ. He was confident, what he is saying is he, he is confident that everything that he has been speaking of throughout this letter is true of them. We've asked the question, well, where did all this unity come from among these different diverse Groups of people. And here's the answer. They were all in Christ. What that meant was. 
that whatever superficial differences they may be among them in this world, and we could add to that all kinds of other differences that exist among people, but to be in Christ, what that means is that the greatest and the most important things of life and eternity now become those things that bind God's people together. They were justified through Christ. They had peace with God. They were once slaves of sin. Now they were slaves of righteousness. They were once under condemnation. Now they are under the love and the grace of God. They have the hope of eternal life. They belong to the one family of God through Jesus Christ. They have all been washed by the same blood of Christ. They are all those who share the same purpose in life to glorify God, to live by the gospel, by the grace of God. And so they share the same joys and sorrows, the same hopes and fears, and they are all headed into the eternal kingdom of God in the world to come. Those are things that bind men together and create unity of heart and life, whatever the superficial differences. Maybe. So the unity of being in Christ is far greater than any earthly distinction among them. And so let me say to all of us here this morning, we are either in Adam or we are in Christ. There's no halfway point between the two. It's one or the other. It's not both at the same time. And if we are in Adam, the condemnation that belongs to Adam belongs to you. The judgment of God and the wrath of God that belong to Adam belongs to you as well. But you can come to believe in the Lord Jesus this morning, today, and you can be set free from all that belongs to Adam and all that now belongs to Jesus Christ can become yours today by believing in the gospel and resting upon Jesus Christ. Paul said in Romans chapter 6 and verse 23, he said, the wages of sin is death But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. And that gift of eternal life can be yours through Christ this morning. A third thing we want to say about these believers here in Rome is that they labored and they sacrificed for the good of the gospel. They labored and they sacrificed for the good of the gospel. These things are always together, labor, sacrifice, and it's all done out of love for Christ. We see their labor in the cause of the gospel in some of these names that Paul mentions. The first is found in verse 3, where he says, greet Prisca and Aquila. Prisca is often called Priscilla. He calls them my fellow workers in Christ. Priscilla and Aquila, they were husband and wife. Usually Priscilla was mentioned first in the other references in the New Testament, perhaps because she was more outgoing, more gregarious than her husband. But they were of Jewish descent. And they were originally from the city of Rome. 
But then, as we are told in Acts chapter 18, some years before, they had to flee Rome when the Roman emperor Claudius commanded all the Jews to leave the city. They went over to Corinth, and there they met the apostle Paul. And there they graciously taught Apollos the truth of the gospel more accurately. And then after being with Paul in Corinth, they went down to Ephesus with Paul. And then after Claudius died, they returned to Rome, where they now were the members of the church here. And so Paul had known them for some time. And what Paul knew about Priscilla and Aquila is that they were always eager and zealous to labor and to do whatever good they could for the apostle and for the cause of the gospel. They had no office in the church, but Paul still called them my fellow workers in Christ Jesus, meaning their work was in Christ and it was for his glory and it would be remembered by him on the last day. They are my fellow workers in Christ. We see their willingness to serve again down in the beginning of verse 5, where he says, and also greet the church that is in their home. There were house churches in those days. And Prisca and Aquila, they were hospitable to the brethren, so much so that they were willing to open their home and provide a place for the church to gather for worship. Greet the church that was in their home. Now the way we should understand what was taking place in Rome was that Rome was a very big city, And so there was not just one church gathered in one place, but there were a number of small churches gathered in various homes scattered throughout the city. And so Paul sends greetings to the different gatherings in the homes of the brethren, first here to the home of Priscilla and Aquila, but then we find the same thing down in other verses. We see in verse 14, he says, Greet a Cryptus." And flee John and Hermes, Petrobus and Hermas, and the brethren with them, which would indicate the brethren that were gathered with them in their house church. Then in verse 15, he says, Greet Philologus and Julia, Nereus and his sister, and Olympus, and all the saints who are with them, referring once again to the small church that was gathered there in their home. So not just Priscilla and Aquila, but other believers as well. They were generous, hospitable in opening their homes to the various small churches scattered throughout the city. We see the hard work of the willingness of them to labor for the gospel again in verse 6, where Paul says, Greet Mary who has worked hard, he says, for you, for the church there. We don't know what she exactly did. We do not need to know. But she worked hard. The word means that she was very diligent. She labored. She took pains in her works of service. There are always works of many service that can be done in the church. There are works of hospitality. There are works of generosity. There are works for caring for the sick and the needy doing good to the poor. There are works of visitation. There are works of meals. There are works of witnessing, works of fellowship. 
Many different works can take place and are needful in the life of any church. If anyone wants to be like Mary here, who worked hard for you, all one needs to do is to have a heart like Mary of service and to lift up their eyes and look about themselves and they will find many works that are done and can be done in the Christian church. So here is Paul. It seems that he had never met Mary, but he knew of her, perhaps through Priscilla and Aquila. But he could not bring this letter to a close without commending her. He approved of her. Greet Mary, he says, who has worked hard for you. We see the same willingness in others. We see down in verse 9, he says, Greet Urbanus, our fellow worker, our fellow worker in Christ. And then in the beginning of verse 12, he says, greet Phi, or he says, greet Tryphena and Tryphosis, Tryphosa, workers in the Lord. Greet Persis, the beloved who has worked hard in the Lord. Two women there in verse 12. They seem to be sisters, and they were both workers in the Lord. And at the end of the verse, Persis, the beloved, beloved of Christ, who worked hard in the Lord as well. So what would any church do without such brothers and sisters in the church who are eager to do whatever good can be done for others and for the good of the church? Every church needs such people. And no church can survive without such people. And the church at Rome had a number of them who were always willing to serve and to work for the good of others. And the same thing can be said here of us as well. It's a rather remarkable thing that Paul mentions their works here in Romans chapter 16. Because you remember back in the earlier chapters, Paul had to say so many things against good works as earning salvation. He said, we maintain that a man is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. Paul said, we are, we are saved by grace through faith without any good works that we contribute to it. And Paul had to be most adamant about that back in the early chapters of this letter. And yet the grace of God produces a life of good works which is what we see here. And these believers seem to understand it very well. They were not doing these things in order to be saved. They were doing them because they were saved by the grace of Christ. They were in Christ and they loved Christ. And so they served him out of love. It's what Paul said in Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 10. He said, we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. That's what's taking place. They were walking in the good works that Christ had prepared for them. So we see the labor here of these saints in the church, and then we also see their willingness to sacrifice for the sake of the gospel as well. We see this first with Priscilla and Aquila down in verse 4. He says, who for my life risked their own necks, to whom not only do I give thanks, but also all the churches of the Gentiles. 
Now, Paul doesn't tell us exactly what event he refers to here. It could have been a disturbance over there in the city of Corinth. We read that in the gospel in the book of Acts, chapter 18. It could have been a riot over there in Ephesus when Paul was with, or Priscilla and Aquila were with the apostle Paul in those cities, and there were disturbances because of the gospel. Whatever whatever event it was, Priscilla and Aquila, they were willing to risk their lives for the sake of the apostle and for the sake of the gospel. He says they were willing to risk their necks. And whatever event he speaks of here, it became well known among all the churches. So Paul says, not only do I give thanks for them, but all the churches of the Gentiles know what they did for me and they give thanks as well. We see down in verse 7. He says, greet Andronicus and Junius, another husband and wife team serving Christ. Paul calls them my kinsmen and my fellow prisoners. My fellow prisoners, again, we do not know where exactly they were in prison, it seems, with the Apostle Paul, because Paul was imprisoned on different occasions, wherever it took place. These people, this husband and wife, they were not afraid to identify themselves, stand with the apostle, lose their freedom, and end up in prison with him. They were his fellow prisoners. Then we read in verse 10, he says, Greet Apelles, the approved in Christ. And What that means is that Apelles was a man who passed through some very serious trials, time of testing in his life that would have involved him in great self-sacrifice and he passed through that period of his life and he showed his commitment to Christ and he was approved now by the apostle. That's what he means. He is the approved by his faithfulness to Christ. Paul wrote this letter in 57 AD to the church at Rome. The emperor at that time was Nero. Only seven years after Paul wrote this letter, in the summer of 64 AD, a great fire took place in the city of Rome. It burned for more than a week. It destroyed three quarters of the city. And Nero blamed the fire on Christians. And he began a great persecution against them. And many believers, perhaps some who were mentioned here, they were arrested, they were tortured, they were brought into the Roman Colosseum, and they were given to the wild beasts for their death and for the amusement of the spectators. Paul did not know that when he wrote this letter, that that would happen in seven years, but God knew it, and the Holy Spirit inspired Paul to write these words. If we look back in verse 8, chapter 8 of this letter, we can look back to chapter 8. And we'll just look at a couple verses here. Paul says to them in chapter 8, He says, I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared to the glory 
that is to be revealed to us. They would suffer for Christ and the gospel, but it would be nothing in comparison to the glory that would come to them afterwards. And then we read down in verse 35 of this chapter. Paul says here in verse 35, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? Can any of these things that can come upon us separate us from Christ? The answer is no. He says in verse 36, Just as it is written, For thy sake, for Christ's sake, we are being put to death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. But in all these things, he says, we are overwhelmingly conquerors through him who loved us. So this is what was soon to come upon them. And we can assume these brethren were willing to suffer as they were called upon to do so. Because we do know from human history from the history of the church, that even though Nero started this persecution, he did not put an end to the church in Rome. The church in Rome continued. He could put out that first fire of the buildings in Rome, but he could not put out the fire of the gospel in the hearts of men and women in Rome. And the church continued to grow in Rome. Isn't that the way it normally is? Or so often it is that where there is persecution, the gospel continues to have greater power. And where there is comfort and luxury and prosperity, it is often not so. I heard on the radio recently of a pastor who went over to China. And he was visiting with Christians over there in China where there is persecution. He's an American pastor. And then the Chinese, a Chinese pastor took him to the airport to fly, fly back to the United States. And the American pastor said to him, to the Chinese pastor, we will pray for you. The Chinese pastor said to the American pastor, we will pray for you too. And so the American pastor said, well, what will you pray for us? The Chinese pastor said, we'll pray that you'll be persecuted. Isn't that something? Because they know what persecution does. And the power of the gospel cannot stop. The power of the gospel overcomes the persecution of these people. That's what was taking place among these brethren in Rome. We turn back to chapter 16. Chapter 16, I do not pray for persecution myself. So I share that with you. I am not promoting it. But it is a reality in so many places of the world, and God overcomes it when it does happen. So what we see in the life of this church here in these opening verses of this chapter is these people willing to serve and labor for one another in whatever they could, And they were willing to suffer and make great sacrifices for the good of the gospel whenever they were called to do so. All of it was done out of love for Christ. We see in verse 8, he writes, Greet Ampliopus, my beloved, in the Lord. He was loved of the Lord as all of them were loved of Christ and 
And so Christ loved them and he suffered for them in the death of the cross and by the blood of the cross, they were in union with Christ and all that he had done for them. They loved Jesus and so they were willing to serve him and to suffer for his sake. The same is true for all of us that Christ came and suffered for us. God demonstrates his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us, Romans 5 and verse 8. And if Christ was willing to die for us as sinners, that we might be saved, then should we not be willing to serve him in the church and labor hard as these brethren did for his honor and his glory and be willing to suffer as well whenever we are called upon to do so? The last thing we want to see, the fourth thing we want to see this morning is some remarkable conversions, or we could call it some remarkable converts among the Romans. We note several of them. The first is found at the end of verse 5, where Paul says, Greet Eponetus, my beloved, who is the first convert to Christ from Asia. So, the Holy Spirit here places this peculiar honor upon this man because he was the first man converted to Christ when the gospel went into Asia. Literally, it is the first fruits to Christ from Asia. That's how some Bibles translate it. And so the first fruits, that came from the Old Testament. The first fruits was the sign of the great harvest that was to come. And so it is here. He was the first fruits to indicate to a sign of the great fruits that would come to Christ throughout that land of Asia. The first time Paul went to Asia was in Acts chapter 19 when he went to Ephesus. It could have been that Epinatius was converted on that missionary journey there. Some believe that perhaps he was converted in Pentecost in Acts chapter 2, because we read that there were some of the people were from Asia, 3,000 were saved on the day of Pentecost, and perhaps he was one of them. And then he moved back to later over to the city of Rome. But what we see here is that this would have happened at least about 30 years before. And so this man was quite old in years in that time with the lifespan of people in that ancient world. He was an older saint. He was an elder in the church and he had shown his faithfulness to Christ for so many years. He is the beloved of Paul. Paul loves him. The first fruits to Christ from Asia. Another man of interest here is found at the end of verse 10 where we read his name. The end of verse 10, Aristobulus Greet those, he says, he says, greet those who are of the household of Aristobulus. Now, many believe that Aristobulus was the grandson of King Herod the Great. The grandson of King Herod the Great, he was also the brother of King Agrippa. And what that means is that he was from the royal family. He was a man of wealth and power. He was the owner of slaves and it is probably his slaves that Paul greets here in this verse. We notice, he says, greet those who are of the household of Aristobulus. 
he does not greet Aristobulus himself directly. He greets only those who are of his household. And so some would think that Aristobulus was not a Christian, but his household had become Christians. Many in his household, the servants, the slaves of this man who was of the royal family. The gospel had come into his home and his slaves, his servants, were now believers in Christ. God in sovereignty here passed over the master and came and saved the servants. And it's what Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 26. He says, consider your calling, brethren, that there are not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty Not many noble, but God has chosen the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to shame the things which are strong. On the other hand, we see in verse 11, he says, Greet Herodian, my kinsman. Herodian, that name meant that he was from the family of Herod, King Herod. And so here, the gospel went and saved one of the great and powerful of the earth, And the gospel is able to save them as well whenever Christ wills. The last name we look at here is found in verse 13, Rufus. He says, greet Rufus, a choice man in the Lord. Now this man, Rufus, is generally thought to be the Rufus who is mentioned in the gospel of Mark. And we'll turn there for a moment and see that verse in Mark chapter 15. Mark chapter 15. And the scene here in Mark chapter 15 is that Jesus is condemned to crucifixion. Beginning in verse 16, the soldiers take him out to the cross and crucify him, to crucify him. And then we read as they are going to the cross in verse 21. And Mark records, And they pressed into service a passerby coming from the country, Simon of Cyrene, the father of Alexander and Rufus, to bear his cross. So Simon of Cyrene, he is passing by here. His sons, Alexander and Rufus, are not, I do not think they are with him at the time. But as he passes by, they press him into service to carry the cross of Jesus. And Mark, who later writes the gospel, he identifies Simon of Cyrene as the father of Alexander and Rufus. <clears throat> now what's interesting is that Mark wrote this, Mark wrote this gospel from the city of Rome. Why did he mention this man Rufus? The other gospel writers did not mention him. Why does Mark mention him? It would make sense that as Mark wrote this gospel from the city of Rome, he mentioned this man Rufus as the son of Cyrene because this man Rufus was in the church in Rome. And he was the same man that Paul sends greetings to in Romans chapter 16. So we turn back to Roman chapter 16. Rufus, the son of Simon of Cyrene, 
becomes a Christian, a choice man in the Lord, in the church at Rome. So what we have here in Romans chapter 16 are some very remarkable converts. As there are remarkable converts and remarkable conversions in every church of Christ. Jesus has many different ways of saving sinners and he can save any kind of sinner and bring them into his church. But in another sense, in another sense, in a more important sense, all of these are remarkable. All of these people whom Paul greets because they are all believers in Christ. They are all Jesus' servants, whatever their background might be, wherever they came from. They do not need to have remarkable conversions because it is remarkable in itself that they are in Christ and believe and follow him. And what we seem to find here is that many of these conversions probably took place among family relations in simple and ordinary ways because we find husbands and wives here. We find sisters. We find those who are brothers of one another. And no doubt many of them were friends with one another before they became Christians. Perhaps servants in the same home of some master. The gospel came to them. So whether to a brother, a sister, a family member, what they would do, what would you do when the gospel came to you? You would begin to share it with your closest relatives. And so you would sit around your home and you would begin to talk to your relatives about the gospel and what Christ had done for you. And then the gospel would come to that person as well and they would become a Christian and they would follow Jesus with you. That's what seems to happen here. Imagine Rufus. His father, Simon of Cyrene. Simon of Cyrene sitting with his son Rufus telling his son what he had seen and he had carried the cross of Jesus. And he describes what he saw at the cross of Jesus and how he came to believe in Jesus and Rufus himself came to believe in him as well. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of Christ and so it is with so many of these here, all of these here. They are all trophies of the grace of God as every Christian is. We are all part of the new creation that God is now bringing to pass in this world. We were once dead, now we are alive together with Christ. We have been raised up, all of these and all of us, we have been raised up with Christ and seated with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. They were citizens of Rome. and Rome was at the height of its power at that time. But the Roman Empire was a man-made empire. And the Roman Empire was a perishing empire. But they belonged to a kingdom that could never be shaken. To an eternal kingdom that will last forever with Jesus Christ as the king. They were members of that kingdom now. And they will hear his voice on the last day. Well done, thou good and faithful servant. So that's what we see here in the church at Rome, a spiritually healthy church as they sought to follow Christ. Not a church without trouble, as we can read in the following verses. 
but a strong church in the Lord Jesus. We note one more thing as we close this morning. Paul said in verse 16, he said, greet one another with a holy kiss. That was the custom in those days to greet one another with a kiss, a holy kiss. And so it is that all Christians, when they come to church on the Lord's Day, they should greet one another in the church, whatever the custom may be in the land in which they live. But they ought to show their love, their affection, their goodwill to one another. In a small church, I would say this, that every member of the church should be able to greet every other member of the church on every Lord's Day. It is to show the love, the respect, the appreciation that we have for one another and the union that we have in Jesus Christ. Let us pray together. Father and gracious God in heaven, thank you for the word of Jesus, the word of God. Thank you for the good example of this church here in the book of Romans. We pray that you would be at work among us as well, that all of these things would take place and continue to take place, that we would excel still more in all these things. Thank you now. Hear us and bless your word to us. In Jesus' name, amen.